BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. Happy June. I can't believe it's already June and you know what that means. My tour is next month now. So if you haven't gotten a ticket, you can go to wemetatacme.com slash events and get a ticket. Also reminding you that we have a YouTube channel. It's We Met at Acme on YouTube. So subscribe or watch our videos if you want to see what you're listening to now in video form. And lastly, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, feel free to write a review in the podcast app. I am so excited that we have Lori Gottlieb on the podcast today. I have read her books and just thought that she has some very interesting takes for quite a while. I just want to give you some background because it makes me look kind of dumb because I recorded basically when I before I recorded with Lori, I asked her, you know, is there anything off limits? And she didn't say there was. And I kind of just like prepped her saying, I'm going to ask about her book on dating called Marry Me. And she was like, oh, that's like, you know, kind of like irrelevant now. I I would love to focus more on maybe you should talk to someone, which is another book that she read. And so when I asked her about Marry Me, I was like, I know you said it's like, you know, I know it's irrelevant, but blah, blah, blah. That wasn't me saying I thought it was irrelevant. That was just me like repeating something that she had told me off camera. So I just have to like preface that because I would never tell anyone who comes on my podcast that something that they wrote is irrelevant. Anyway, I really enjoyed chatting with her. I'm excited for you to hear it and hear what she has to say. But before we get into that, I have to tell you about my Taylor Swift experience. So if you aren't a Swifty or just like don't care about concert experiences, feel free to skip ahead to Lori. It's a great listen. But if you want to indulge me, here we go. Okay. So I went to Taylor Swift. I was very lucky because many people were not able to go to Taylor Swift. We're not able to get tickets. We're not able to pay for tickets because they're a fortune. I got very lucky in that a friend of mine was able to finagle tickets and invited me and I owe him my life. I mean, it was the best night ever. We went on Friday night to MetLife Stadium in Jersey. We left probably at like 430 wheels up and we got there so early. We got there at like 
5.30 or something, maybe closer to 6. We were so freaking early. The concert, she doesn't go on until 7.55, 8. So we were extremely early. But by the time we got there, the parking lots were basically full. It was crazy. We had bought this parking pass online that we were sure was a scam. And we're pretty sure it still was a scam, but they somehow let us park. And we parked at like this mall. So we weren't in like the main parking lot of everyone else. Anyway, I doubt you care about parking. We get there and it is so packed, like packed beyond belief. Thank God we were early. I was kind of being like, we really don't need to go this early. We're going to get there so early. But, you know, they were like, we do. And I'm so glad that we did because it was crazy. As soon as we got there, the line for merch was 300 people long. I got really lucky in that my friend who invited me to the concert, he went to her show in Philly and he got, he was able to get merch then. So he brought me a shirt of merch and I hadn't, apparently when you go into the concert, you're only allowed to bring like a see-through bag or a very, very small purse. But I didn't have either of those things. And I knew that I, sorry about the ambulance. Oh, let me pause. Hold on. And I knew that since I was in a sequin dress, I was going to want to change into sweatpants and a t-shirt and a sweatshirt later. And so I brought my sweatpants in like a bundle with the t-shirt, the merch t-shirt in the middle and kind of like was holding it all night. Well, Stephen was holding it for most of the night. Anyway, so that's just like background on the merch that I was holding. Okay. Keep in mind, it was catty to get merch. Like you had to wait online for three hours. You had to go early. Things sold out. The sweatshirts were gone in like the first hour. It was wild. So immediately when we get there, we're starving and we wait. Oh my God. What is this ambulance? Hold on. Okay. So we see that there are really, really long lines for the food. So I'm like, Steven, why don't you get online for the food? I'm dying to pee. I'm going to get online for the bathroom, which in itself, the women's bathroom line was longer than the merch line. It was insane. And it was so disorganized. Like it went around in like circles and zigzagged. And I was like, there's no fucking way I'm waiting on this bathroom line. But I did. I did for like five minutes. And then I was like, absolutely not. There's got to be a men's bathroom here. And no one is going to be on this line because it's mostly women. So I run to the men's bathroom. Of course, there's no one online, but there's a security guard outside because he probably is on to people. And luckily, some girl starts talking to the security guard and I like beeline into the men's bathroom. And all these guys are like standing at the urinals, like peeing. And I just ran into a stall and just peed. And it was amazing. And then I started to spread the gospel. And I was saying to the girls waiting online, like who were behind me, I was like, you should just go to the men's bathroom. And it was so interesting because some of the girls were like, no, like I'm good. Like, I don't want to go to the men's bathroom. I'm like, what? Like, this is the difference between the different kinds of people. Like I would never willingly wait on a line. Like I I need to do a poll question on this because I was so taken aback by this girl being like, I don't want to see like men peeing. I'm like, what? I would rather like, I would watch a man shit to not have to wait on this line. Like, are you kidding me? Anyway, so I go back and Steven's still waiting online for the food. It's the longest line ever, but we need the chicken fingers. 
And at this point we lost the boys. Like we're with our two best friends and like we lost them. They're nowhere to be found. They like found hot dogs and like a shorter line further by the seats. So Steven's still waiting on this line. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't like, we can't wait on this line forever. It's, it's enough. And I'm very like, nothing is more important to me than saving time. I will spend every last dollar of mine if it means that I could save me three hours. And so I do this thing sometimes when I'm at like big events. And of course, like only if I can afford to do it in that moment and like if I'm smart about it, but I will go to the front and I will offer to pay for somebody's meal if I can order with them. And it doesn't always work. Some people are like, no, like I waited so long. But I happened to find like two girls who were so sweet and they were so appreciative and they were like, oh my God, that's so nice. And it ended up being great. And so we were able to cut the line, get the chicken fingers, but we ended up paying like a lot of money for food. Like it it was silly, especially like on top of the tickets. Like now we're down net like a grand at least. The food wasn't a grand. It was like a hundred bucks, but still like it was crazy. So then we're like, we have the food, we're running around. It's still, mind you, like 6 p.m. The concert doesn't start for two hours. There's like barely an opening act even on. We find this like place to stand with our whole crew and we're like standing, eating the food and across from us are these two girls who are standing and eating their food. And they're so sweet. And we start talking to them and one of them, like we're just talking, having a normal conversation. I ask them where they're from, whatever. And then at the end, the, one of the girls is like, here, like, take one of my bracelets. I made this like because, you know, a lot of people exchange these friendship bracelets at the Taylor Swift concert. I'm sad that I didn't bring any or have time to make any. But this was so sweet. Like this made my whole night. And she was like, do you care about profanities? And I was like, no. And she gave me this bracelet that says fuck Jake on it, like for Jake Gyllenhaal. It's amazing. I'm wearing it still to this day. And that was just like a highlight. It was amazing. Then we try to go into the seats, Steven and I, and the usher is like, you can't come in without the, the ticket holder. So we go back, we get our friend and we all go together to the seats. And I say to the usher, I'm like, is there any way you can remember us so that like I, we can go in and out and use the bathroom? And she's like, what do you mean, honey? I don't need to remember you. Like, and you don't need to come out to the bathroom. You have club access. And we're like, what? And she's like, yeah, like you have club access. You don't need you can go through like this other entrance. Basically, we find out after scheming, waiting on these lines, being insane, like hijacking bathrooms, sneaking into men's rooms that we had access to this club where the food was free and they had chicken fingers and no weight. And there were bathrooms with no lines. And we didn't even know this. We find out and we're like, oh, my God, we're so fucking stupid. This is insane. But whatever. We're so excited. We we sit down while we stand the whole time and we're just like dying. Like I'm crying. We're just, it's, it's just, it's life-changing. Taylor comes on. It's the best ever. She played the most insane surprise songs. We got so lucky. And all throughout this, there's like this little girl behind us who's like 10 and, or maybe she's 12. I honestly, it's, I don't know. And she's talking on the phone the entire time. Like an actual loud phone call, like, hey, yeah, no, I know. And clearly doesn't understand that everyone around her is having like a religious experience and this is ruining their experience. 
She then takes her phone and puts her light on like her flashlight and starts recording video. But the entire time, because it's dark, she's like flashlighting our heads and we can't even see like there's a flashlight in our head. So that was really annoying. But I was like, whatever. She's a little girl. Like, I'm not going to turn around and yell at her, you know? Okay. And now it's important to think about my merch that I told you about. Right. So I had this this merch t-shirt with my sweatpants and I placed it on like the chair, but we were standing in front of the chair. Okay. But it was very clear that the shirt was merch. Okay. So I'm just like living my life, whatever. I am of course, like not turning around because I'm watching Taylor at some point. I go, Oh, also, sorry. Keep in mind. I had Swedish fish on top of this merch thing. And my bra was like crumbled within the pile of clothes. Anyway, I go to the bathroom, I come back and all of a sudden my merch is gone. The Swedish fish is gone. Everything is just gone from where it was. And I'm like, that's weird. So I use my flashlight and I start to look around where I'm sitting. And all of a sudden I noticed the girl, the 10 year old. Okay. Behind me freaking out, like feeling like looking uncomfortable. And I look at her and she's holding my merch, my t-shirt. She had stolen the t-shirt and my bra that was like wrapped in it was like falling on the side of her chair. And I never saw the Swedish fish again, but I, I was like, wait, is that my shirt? And she was like, oh my God, oops. Like I just, I picked it up. Like I thought it was mine. It was the craziest thing I've ever experienced, guys. A 10-year-old, a 10-year-old tried to steal my merch. I was so taken aback. It was like hard for me to enjoy the rest of the concert because I was so shook by this experience. She was like a demon child. Okay. Then I was like, I have to say something. I'm sorry. Like I have to say something. And my friends were like, absolutely not. Steven was on my side. He was like, that was psycho. Like I watched the whole thing. That was insane of the girl. And my other friend was like, no, don't say anything. Just like leave it. He's like very much peacemaker, like doesn't like to start up. And I don't really like to start up either, but this was insane guys. And so she was with like a mother figure and another friend. So at the end of the concert, I say to the mom, I'm like, Hey, like, is that your daughter? And she's like, no, it's my daughter's friend. Like why? What happened? And I was like, I just want you to know that like she tried to steal my merch. Like maybe you should tell her mom. And she was like, oh my God, like, no, like there's no way that happened. And it did happen, guys. It did. I really wanted to like come for this girl. But then I immediately was like, it would be verbatim the scene in Bridesmaids where she's like, you're weird. And then she's like, I'm not weird. And then she's like, well, you're a little cunt. What do you have? Like four boyfriends? Like that was about to be me. I swear to God. But I stopped myself and I was the bigger person and I spoke to the mom. And I think that that is growth. You know, it's growth in life. Anyway, fast forward to like I'm posting content from the show and she comments on my TikTok. This girl, the 10 year old. And she's like, you accused me of stealing your merch and it was so mean. And I was like, what? Like guys, she literally picked it up and took it. And then she knew she was caught and returned it to me. It was the craziest thing in the world. Overall though, 
best night of my life. Thank you to the person who gave me a bracelet. If you ever hear this and I just will never, I'll never be the same. I would go again if I could. I wish I could. And if you ever get a chance to see Taylor in your lifetime, she always makes it 100% worth it. That's all I got. I'm so excited for you to hear Lori. It's 2023 and women are still being told that their vaginas should taste and smell a certain way. In reality, vaginas are meant to have a scent, one that's natural and not reminiscent of your favorite fruit or pastry. That's where Love Wellness comes in. Founded by Lowe Bosworth in 2016, Love Wellness is the safer, cleaner, and more effective approach to vaginal health. They create products that cleanse, balance, and moisturize the vagina on the inside and the outside. And based on their 50,000 plus five-star reviews, Love Wellness is essential intimate care. Just take their Good Girl probiotics, for example. While most probiotics contain one strain of good bacteria, this best-selling vaginal probiotic features a whopping eight strains to support a balanced vaginal pH and healthy urinary tract. Other brands' cleansers are packed with harmful fragrances and harsh chemicals that can throw off your your vagina's natural pH leading to irritations and infections. But Love Wellness's pH balancing cleanser is a gentle, fragrance-free cleanser formulated with aloe vera and calendula to cleanse your vulva the natural way. Love Wellness believes caring for your vagina shouldn't be complicated. Their science-backed, doctor-developed solutions make feeling your best very simple. Visit lovewellness.com and use code ACME15 at checkout for 15% off of your first purchase. That's L-O-V-E-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.com and use code ACME15 for 15% off of your first order. Check the episode description for more information. This next partner of the podcast has really made me think about how important electrolytes need to be in our lives because I never really thought about it before. And now that I'm someone that loves to work out, it is so clear to me how much I need electrolytes in order to have that energy to do a Barry's class, to do a class that, you know, gets rid of some of my electrolytes. They need to be replenished. And if you're not someone who works out, but maybe you're someone who likes your wine at night, you need to have electrolytes in your life too. It helps you with hangovers. It helps you eliminate those headaches. It helps you with your muscle cramps. It helps you if you're just a tired person who's sleepy all the time. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything that you need and nothing you don't meaning a lot of salt, but no sugar. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, and 60 milligrams magnesium. I personally love the raspberry element. I take it with me everywhere. I basically told Element to only send me the raspberry one because it is my go-to, but every flavor is good. The watermelon's also delicious. It depends what you're into. And all you do is take a pack of Element and you pour it into your water bottle with some cold water, which is always nice in my opinion. I'm a cold water girl. 
and I shake it up and then boom, I have electrolytes in my life. It's incredible. And right now Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash Acme. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to DRI and klmnt.com slash Acme. Element offers no question asked refunds. It's totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you can share it with a salty friend and they'll give you your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with Lori Gottlieb. Hey Lori. Hi there. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, Lori, what is your favorite romantic gesture? Ooh, I think that people really need to ask other people what their favorite romantic gestures are in terms of giving them. And I don't have one single romantic gesture. I think it just depends on the context. Yeah, that's fair. I think the main one is surprising me with something very small, like... Mm a funny text during the day or a flirty text during the day, something like that. I like that. Like, would you be into like a more racy text during the day or just leaving it at flirty? Oh, sure. Racy, flirty, all Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So you are an amazing author and you've written lots of incredible books. Two that I just recently read, the first was Marry Him that I read and then maybe you should talk to someone both of which I loved for different reasons in the book, marry him. And I know that like, that's a little outdated in terms of your own beliefs. Do you think that part of like that book was kind of, and like, I'm curious what your thoughts are playing into the whole scarcity mindset thing versus like abundance mindset. What are your thoughts? No, first of all, it's not outdated at all. I, I, Mm -hmm. everything in that book is, excellent advice for anybody who's dating. And I don't think it's about a scarcity mindset. I think it's, it's, it was really misinterpreted. I had written an Atlantic article that was supposed to have some humor in it, which apparently felt flat, but the book is actually a heavily researched book where I talked to everybody from psychologists and sociologists to behavioral economists, to people who deal with divorce, marriage counselors, and it was really interesting because I was really looking at what makes for happy, lasting relationships. And what I found was that it's that people, when they're dating, are looking for very different things than what they actually want in a marriage. And by the way, not everybody wants to get married, but if you're looking for a long-term relationship or you're looking for a marriage, that's what that that's who that book is for. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's really about healthy relationships, healthy long-term relationships. And so what I was saying wasn't, you know, you should lower your standards. <laughs> it was more about you should have higher standards, but higher standards about the things that matter. So a lot of times, and this was written before I was a therapist, but even now as a therapist, I see so many people come in and they'll say, oh, he, you know, he t- said he was going to call and then he didn't call, but then, oh, we had the most amazing weekend. And then I don't know what happened. And they're always sort of on edge or the person isn't reliable or the person doesn't know how to communicate. And then they still say, oh, but I'm so in love with him or her. Right. And it's like, is that, does that feel good to you? 
Right. That's something that you want to be in. So what I want people to do is to have higher standards about the character qualities, the emotional maturity. Do you have shared values? Do you have shared life goals? Do you like to do the same things? Not just the stuff that, you know, people will rule people out on a first date for so many things and they won't rule them out for like, oh yeah, maybe he drinks too much or, mm, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe he's like, you know, maybe he's depressed and, you know, but they don't even look at that right. and how that will impact them in the long term. Right. Well, you had a quote, you quoted Nietzsche in the book saying it is not lack of love a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. And I love that quote. Like that, I feel like is the biggest thing of all. And it always, it's so interesting to me when someone's like, oh no, like I could never, he's my best friend. I don't think of him like that. And I'm always like, but that's like who, like that's all it is, you know, at the end of the day. Well, I think that people want their partner to be their best friend, but I think that nobody can fulfill all of your needs. And I think that's where, I think our culture gives this message that, you know, when you find the right person, that they're going to fulfill all of these emotional needs for you. And they won't because it's impossible for one person to do that. So you need other friends. You need other best friends. You need your actual best friend, right? Right. You know, you need other people outside the relationship. And so the the mistake people make is thinking that, you know, that person is going to understand me completely and they're not always going to understand you completely. And you do need to have other friends and you need to be able to talk to your partner and understand and help them understand you and understand them and understand that you're different people with different needs. And sometimes you have competing needs at the same time. Right. Yeah, no, that's so true. I feel like just that's a recipe for disaster is just expecting your partner to read your mind to, you know, have the same everything that maybe you feel with the best friend. But I will say, like, I feel like your partner should be the person that you want to be with even more than your best friend when like you're alone hanging out. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's your it's your primary attachment. Right. And I think that that's really important because, again, when we're dating and we don't look for the qualities that we want in our primary attachment figure, that becomes really difficult. So, yes, you want your I think that what it comes down to is trust. What you're talking about is I trust this person with my vulnerability. I trust this person to see the truth of who I really am and love me, not in spite of it, but because of it. Mm, Yeah, I, I this is the person that can comfort me and I can comfort them. This person always has my back. I feel safe with this person. Yeah. And I really enjoy being with this person. We love moving through the world together. The good times, the bad times, everything. You know, when people say, oh, I love being with this person through the good times, I say, do you also like being with them through the bad times? Yeah, that's because, you know, people will say, you know, like there's no one this this was a horrible thing that happened in the world, in our lives and whatever. But, you know, a parent dies, you know, whatever it is, you lose a job. But I would there was no one that I would rather have gone through that horrible period with than you. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like it is those horrible periods that bring you closer when it's the right person for you, when you weather the storm at the end of the day, you feel closer to them after having gone through that together. Yeah, I saw that so much during COVID where people people's relationships are sort of amplified. So if you didn't have 
a good relationship before COVID, it got worse. But if you had a good relationship before COVID, it got better Mm. because you got, you really bonded during that time together. Right. Yeah. That's so true. When you discussed in, in Marry Him, Mr. Good Enough versus Mr. Prince Charming, what do you think is the difference? Like Mr. Prince Charming is just unrealistic and Mr. Good Enough has the qualities that are good enough to make your husband or is that just the difference? Or wife or Mm -hmm. whatever, partner. It's not really gendered. But I do think that we're all Mr. and Ms. and they, whatever, you know, we're all, we're all good enough humans. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of treat dating like shopping. Like here's all of the qualities that I want in a person. And we kind of wish that we could order people up a la carte. Like, oh yeah, I'll take, I like these, these qualities of the, of the main course, but then, you know, can I substitute out like that habit that they have with this other thing that I wish they had? Can I substitute out this awkwardness with a little more social fluency? Can I sub, you know, it's like, there are no substitutions. People come as they come and we come as we come too. And people are going to see that there are maybe qualities that, you know, if they could, if they could order a la carte, they might order things a little bit differently. Right. But like, how do we know? Yeah, go ahead. But I was going to say, but, but I think that, that, so we're all good enough. And I think that it's not about finding the perfect person. It's about finding the perfect person for you. Mm. And there's a big difference between those two things. There's no perfect person, but there is a perfect person for you. Yeah. How do we know when we're trying to change someone too much versus like, it's actually okay to make these changes? You can't change another person, but you can influence another person. So if let's say that there's some disagreement that you guys have, or the way that you disagree is leaves you both feeling awful at the end. So you might change how you show up in those disagreements, and that might influence how the other person responds to you. A lot of people think, well, if you do this, then I'll respond differently. Like you have to go first. And I always say, no, you should go first. You be the person who goes first because your behavior will influence the other person to change in certain ways. We're all doing a dance with each other. And if you change your dance steps, then the other person will either have to change their dance steps too, or they'll fall off the dance floor. And maybe that's not the relationship for you. But I think that you have to be able to be the person who makes the change first. Change your dance steps, see what the other person does, and you'll get a lot of information about whether or not you want to keep dancing with that partner. Yeah, definitely. I saw a video where you explained this a little bit and it makes so much sense. Like if we're just sitting around waiting for the other person to make changes, nothing's ever going to happen. The only person that we can control is ourselves. So you make that change and exactly like they have to respond and maybe they have to change because you've started it and they have to respond to it in a different way. I like that. That's right. And also the way that you, that you make your change will help them to respond in a different way. So let's say that when you get upset with each other, you shut down or you raise your voice or whatever you do. Let's say that you decide, you know what, I'm going to calmly tell them how I feel, or I'm going to come closer to them, or I'm going to see their point of view and then tell them my point of view. So I'm going to make sure that they know that I heard what they said and I understand it. 
and then tell them how I feel so that they don't feel shut out from the conversation, they'll probably respond a lot better than mm. to your shutting them out or to your raising your voice or whatever you happen to do that just exacerbates the dynamic, the dance between the two of you. Yeah. If you're very on the go this summer and just not feeling like you have time to make a meal that your body deserves, that's where Sakara comes in. Sakara's flexible nutrition program makes it easy to plan nourishing, feel-good meals around your busy summer schedule. If you have dinner plans all week, you can just sign up for breakfast and lunches. Or if you're tired of takeout and ordering food in, you can just do their dinners because maybe you're at work during the day and whatever, you know, Sakara is so great because you can choose what works for you. It's designed to support healthy weight management, ease your bloat and boost energy. They have plant rich, organic and ready to eat meals that ensure that you get the right nutrients to see and feel real results. When I have Sakara, I'm telling you, I never walk away feeling unsatisfied. I'm never like, wow, I'm still hungry. I truly believe that each meal has something that is going to like, like every part of a nutritional diet that truly makes you feel amazing. I was eating this like salad and have beans and avocado and all these incredible things. And I felt so good after my energy was high and I was going to the bathroom more regularly. It's amazing. Plus their breakfasts are so good. Chef's kiss guys, these breakfasts, especially when they have the little granola with the milk. Oh my God. And then muffins, the banana bread. I, I can't, recommend this enough. So Cara brings expertly designed organic nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their science-backed ready-to-eat meals deliver results that you can see and feel from weight management and ease bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakaracom slash Acme or enter code Acme at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A, dot com slash acme to get 20% off of your first order. Sakara.com slash acme. Our next podcast partner is AG1. If you don't know about what AG1 is, it's the healthiest thing that you can do in under a minute. It is one scoop of powder mixed with water once a day. And the powder is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality that give me major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, and even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails. I love my routine with my AG1. I now, I used to do it post-workout, but now before working out, as I start my day, um, I chug a glass of water and then I chug a glass of AG1. It's amazing. What I do is I take one scoop. I take some ice. I take some water. I shake it up in my AG1 bottle and I just drink it. And then I can do anything. I can work out. I can go straight to work. I can run to an appointment. It's amazing because I know that I am pushing my body into healthy digestion. And now my skin is going to feel good. I'm going to like kind of have a reset every day when I use my AG1 and I drink it. And I also love when I'm on a trip, I just take my travel packs with me and it's amazing. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, AG1 is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. 
go to drinkag1.com slash Acme and you can check out my deal. You will get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to drinkag1.com slash Acme. Check it out. If you are someone who's choosing between, this is something that you had brought up in the book, between smart and passive versus less smart and proactive, how do you even know which to go with? Is that just based off of person to person? Hmm. I'm not really sure you have to choose. I, I think you kind of look at the person in front of you. And I think that the biggest question that people can ask is, do I feel good when I'm with this person. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't stop to ask that question. They might feel good because it's very romantic and all of those things. But overall, do I feel good in this relationship? Do I feel safe? Do I feel close to this person? Do I feel like I can get close to this person? Do I feel like this person can get close to me? So I don't think it's like dissecting the qualities that they have. I think it's more about how do I feel? in this relationship. Yeah, that's really important. A lot of times people say, you know, people who are really happy with their partners and have been with them for a long time, they say, you know, this wasn't the idea of the person that I had in mind. And I, you know, like, like I met this person at a party, but if I had seen this person on a dating app, I probably wouldn't have, you know, I probably would have swiped left. So it's really interesting that we have this idea in our head that sometimes can be very rigid about this is the kind of person that I want to meet. And I think dating apps, you know, make this a very zero sum kind of game like yes, no, yes, no. But if you actually met that person in an organic situation, you might actually really like that person. So I think that we can't just sit there and have this list of qualities. And I don't mean that we sit there and write them down. I mean that we often have them in our head. And then we don't open ourselves up to the possibility that there might be a different person out there than we had envisioned. And that might be the person that we fall in love with. Yeah. And sometimes we do write them down. And I actually have in my own life, you know, before I met my partner, like I did make a list, but I did something that's similar to something you wrote about. It was like a want versus need list. And it wasn't superficial. Like it was needs, like needs that are very important to me. Like, you know, needs to be kind, like things like that, not like needs to have, you know, an accent and like look good in a bomber jacket. Like, and I feel like so often today, women, especially like more even than men get like this thing that, have you heard of this thing called the ick? It's this terminology that I don't know where it started, maybe on TikTok, but it's basically like, when you go out with somebody and they do one thing that like Mm -hmm. kind of grosses you out and then you're, you write them off immediately because like they made a cringe dad joke to the waiter and you're just like, ew, I'm never going out with them again. And Gen Z is like obsessed with this thing called the ick. And they're like one thing and I'm out. And I feel like that's so toxic. Yeah, it is. Especially because you have to remember that sometimes people are just nervous And, you know, they're doing things because people do all kinds of unfortunate things when they're nervous. It's it's really nerve wracking when you're with someone that you like and you're maybe just getting to know them. And so, I mean, how scary is that, that someone can just rule you out for this 
30 second thing that happens. So right? scary. It is. Yeah. And, and I think what happens is you don't really get to know people. A lot of people think like you either just know the minute you meet them or forget it, move on, because that's the kind of dating app culture. But I think that what people don't realize is that it can take some time, you know, like go on as if you had if you had a good time, but maybe you didn't have butterflies or maybe you weren't like the chemistry was amazing. But you're like, hey, I had a pretty good time. But yeah, no, I just wasn't feeling it. I would go on a second date. And just see what it's like. Really, how hard is it to spend another like hour or two with somebody? And then you you'll have a better idea. Yeah. But people I, write people off so quickly. So quickly. I always say, like, unless you are disgusted, horrified by them on the first date, go out on a second. Like in, unless you want to block them, there's no reason not to give them another chance. Because as you said, especially like people are nervous. Well, I, I would say if you were really bored or you had really nothing to talk about, it wouldn't go on a second date. But I think if you had like you had a good time, but you're like, yeah, I don't know. I I, I wasn't like super excited about this person. Mm-hmm. I would go one more time. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you're bored, I agree. That's that's not good. What do you think are if there is even like a generalization of good qualities for a partner? Mm-hmm. What are they? Oh, there, there definitely are generalizations. This is this has been studied. The most successful marriages are marriages where people have these qualities. And one of the top qualities is, well, first, emotional stability. So let's just put that one out there, emotional stability. So many people are attracted to emotionally volatile people. They'll say they aren't, but that's who they end up dating. People who are withholding uh, on the one hand or people who are volatile on the other hand. And it's like exciting, but it's not exciting. It's nerve wracking. It's crazy making. It's anxiety provoking. So emotional stability. And that also means like, you know, some people have this thing like, oh, yes, this person is clinically depressed. And by the way, there's, you know, people are depressed. But like if the person is not taking steps to deal with their depression or they have really debilitating anxiety, but they're not taking steps to work on their anxiety, then that's a real red flag because that's going to really interfere with the relationship. So if you are saying, you know, or this person like, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're don't really acknowledge that they have an addiction, but they clearly drink too much a lot on a regular basis, or they have an issue with substances, whatever it is, that's not going to disappear. So people need to be really mindful of that. Let's talk about emotional stability and and how well they function in the world. And that along with that comes like are they responsible? Do they, you know, do they do they pay their bills on time? <laughs> right? Do they return phone calls? Do they, you know, how do they function in the world? Are they reliable people? But the next most important quality is flexibility. Mm. And flexibility is you know, like, can they go with the flow a little bit? That doesn't mean like, you know, can they be a doormat? It means, can they be flexible because they're dealing with another human being? So can they, you know, do they need to have, do they, are they control freak? Do they need to have things their way all the time? Or can they be a little bit flexible? That's super important because life is going to throw all kinds of things at you and you're going to need to pivot and be flexible. Yeah. The other thing is emotional generosity. Emotional generosity is huge. 
if they see you do something embarrassing, are they going to criticize you for it? Or are they going to be compassionate? If you, you know, how do they act toward like the waiters in the restaurant? How do they act toward people in the world? How emotionally generous are they? Can they apologize and apologize without a but? Can they take full responsibility for something instead of trying to defend themselves? Can they can they come toward you in a time when it's really hard to come toward you? Can they take time to like, you know, something is important to you and it's really inconvenient for them, but they're going to make time because you trained really hard for this marathon. So they're going to show up even though they really wanted to be on this other trip at that time. You know, those kinds of things. Emotional generosity. Which of those do you think can be learned, if any? All of it. Mm. But you have to want to learn it. Right. So it's not like, oh, look, I was flexible. Give me some brownie points here. And now it's a quid pro quo. So that means that now you have to be flexible. You just do it because you want to do it. You do Mm -hmm. it because that's how you want to show up in a relationship. Yeah. This is a question that came in for you from one of your fans. They asked, how much does a significant other's family matter? And this is coming from somebody who is very close with their family and knows that you can't choose your family, but is like clearly not a fan of their significant others. Mm, I think it matters a lot. I think what matters the most is what is your partner's relationship with their family? And how are you able to talk about their family with each other? So Mm -hmm. if there's something problematic about their family that interferes with your relationship, how do you talk to your partner about it? And how much can your partner take on the adult partner role as opposed to the child role in their family and really work with you and prioritize your relationship and make sure that boundaries are set, that discussions are had, and that they don't kind of take that passive role of, well, that's just how my mom is. That's just how my dad is. But they say, hey, mom, dad, this is causing a problem in our relationship, even if their parents won't react well, that you're setting that precedent that this is what's okay to do around us. This is what's not okay to do around us. Yeah, it's always so scary when your partner has some sort of like crazy family situation and they're almost like in denial about it. And they're like, what do you mean? Like my mom's just trying to, you know, be sweet to you. That is, I feel like the biggest red flag is when they like gaslight you to make you seem like crazy for not understanding their much crazier parent or something like that. (laughs) Like if they're aware of it, it's at least there's that. Yeah. And I don't think they're gaslighting you. I think that what you said is right, that they're in denial, that they don't actually see it. Gaslighting would be, yes, I see it. And I'm going to pretend that you're the problem as opposed to my parents are the problem. Right. But what denial is, I don't see the problem at all. I don't know what you're talking about. And mm. to be fair, there are going to be times when you both grew up in different environments. So what they consider a healthy family relationship might be different from what you consider a healthy family relationship. And that's something you need to negotiate in your own relationship. Like right. my parents want a lot more, you know, someone might say my parents want a lot more contact with us. And you think that that's weird and intrusive, but the Mm. other person is like, no, we just have a really close family and your family is very different about space than their family is or about showing up 
without calling or, you know, or about how, how often you're going to get together, those kinds of things. So those are things that you have to discuss and negotiate with each other. And that's where I think couples therapy comes in very handy. I deal with that all the time with couples. How do we talk about this? You guys, you know, obviously haven't been able to talk about it. Let's teach you how to talk about it so that you can work this out. Do you ever advise the parents to come into the couples therapy or it's just like, I'm going to give this couple the tools to deal with the parents on their own? Most of the time, I'm going to give the couples the tools to deal with this. And that's very Mm -hmm. effective. You want the couple to have agency. You want them to be able to work together and to be a unit in this. Right. Your book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, has influenced so many people to see therapists who don't which is so incredible beyond. And I know so many people who have taken that leap to start seeing a therapist after reading the book. What made you want to become a therapist? I had probably the most unusual path to becoming a therapist and the most nonlinear path. When I graduated from college, I worked in film development and then I moved over to TV development and I was an executive at NBC and I came to NBC. So this is going to date me, but I came there the year that both ER and Friends premiered. Mm. And so I spent a lot of time in the actual ER with our consultant coming up with story ideas for the show. And I loved the real stories. I loved, I mean, the stories on ER were amazing, but I really love the real stories. And and he kept saying to me, you know, maybe you should go to medical school. You seem to like it better here than you like going back to the office. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to leave my job. I have this great job at NBC. But I did end up leaving my job and I went to medical school. And when I was in medical school, I saw that a lot of the, a lot of the professors were saying there's this new thing called managed care. You're not going to be able to, to really spend a lot of time with your patients. And I really love stories. I realized like I love the stories. That's why I worked in Hollywood. That's what I loved about the ER because no one comes to an ER where something was expected to happen. So it was like a twist in people's lives. And you saw people at these really incredible and vulnerable inflection points in their lives. And I just, I love the power of story to connect people. And I wasn't, I didn't feel like I would be able to do that as a physician. And so I started writing And my first book came out and then I started writing for magazines and newspapers and I was a journalist. And it wasn't until I had my son when I thought, you know what, maybe I should go back and be a psychiatrist. Maybe I should go back to medical school because I left after two years. And I called up the dean at Stanford where I was in medical school and I said, you know, maybe I should come back. And she said, If you do, you're welcome to come back, but if you do psychiatry, it's a lot of medication management and you're really interested in these stories and in having these really deeper relationships with your patients. So why don't you get a graduate degree in clinical psychology and you can, you know, be a therapist and do the kind of work that you want to do. So that was what I did. So I feel like weirdly, because I'm still a writer, obviously, I feel like as a therapist, my job is almost being an editor in the room that people come in with stories. And often we we have these faulty narratives because we're all unreliable narrators. So you get part of the story, the story that people see, the subjective version of a story. And I'm there to help them to untangle the faulty narrative and to help them write the next chapter in a way that's more satisfying for them. And, you know, even some of the stories we carry around about ourselves, like 
I'm unlovable or I can't trust anyone in a relationship or nothing ever works out for me, right? Those are faulty narratives. So those are the kinds of things that I do as a therapist. And I think that being a writer has really helped me do that kind of work as a therapist. Yeah, that's an awesome combination. I'm so curious because you have a background in the TV world and you're a therapist. What did you think of, if you saw it, of shrinking on TV? (laughs) You know, I don't I don't like to sort of criticize other shows, but I will say that I don't think the media has done a good job of really portraying what what therapy is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I feel like that's kind of like a bro show. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it captures the female experience at all. And it's very broad. And so I, I hope that I hope that I hope that people do not watch that show and think that's what the therapy experience is like. I mean, that's why I wrote maybe you should talk to someone is because I wanted people to see what it really is. There's so many misconceptions about what therapy is. People think either you're a blank slate and you know nobody wants to come in and talk to a brick wall or they think like you see on TV a lot, like the therapist is a hot mess outside of the room. And, you know, they're they're just like completely undone. And then they're, you know, trying to be a therapist and we're just humans. I I write at the beginning of maybe you should talk to someone that my greatest credential is that I'm a card carrying member of the human race, that I know what it's like to be a person in the world. And I think that that makes us as therapists good people to help other people because we're not like the expert up on high. Of course we have training and we know what we're doing, but I think that mostly it's a very human endeavor. And I think a lot of people don't go to therapy because they think it's something very different from that. And so I mm-hmm. want them to see what it what it's really like. And that's why we have the podcast too. I have a podcast called the Dear Therapist Podcast where we do actual sessions with people and you can hear them. And you know we have no prep. It's just like as if they came in and sat on our couch. And then we want people to see that therapy can be really practical. So we give them advice at the end of the session and they have one week to do it and they have to report back and let us know how it went. And I think that's the best. If you want to know what therapy is really like, listen to the podcast or read the book, because that's going to give you the best idea of what the experience might actually be like for you. Yeah. One of your characters in Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, Charlotte, has a lot of dating woes. Um, I'm assuming she's based on a number of people that you've actually seen in real life, maybe one specific one, maybe no one, but what would you say is like the common denominator kind of issue that women are coming in to talk to their therapists about or men, you know, when it comes to dating, let's say as like a 30 year old today. Right. So Charlotte is actually all of them are real people. They just all of their identifying information has been changed. And I think I used her in the book because she's so emblematic of what young women are coming in to talk about in their dating lives. She came in, she was saying, you know, men, the men that I date, you know, they always it always ends badly. I I don't know why I can't find a good guy. And she didn't see her own role in it. She didn't see that she was attracted to those kind to those men, even though she was saying she wanted somebody different. And I always say, you know, there's this saying, we marry our unfinished business. We also date our unfinished business. And that means that weirdly, whoever kind of disappointed us, didn't treat us the way we wanted to be treated, hurt us in some way growing up 
if we don't, if we haven't worked through that, we end up attracting those same kinds of people in our dating lives. It's kind of like, oh, our unconscious is saying to us, our, our subconscious is saying to us, like, you look familiar, come closer, right? Even mm-hmm. though they look very different, we're like, oh no, that's going to be totally different for my parent. And it's called repetition compulsion where you try, you repeat the same thing, but with a different person, because this time you're going to win. This time you're going to master it. This time you're not going to get hurt by that person. This is completely outside of our awareness. So we end up like a moth to flame going for those kinds of people. And then what happens is we get disappointed again and again and again until we start to realize, wait a minute, I'm the common denominator here. It's kind of like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you. Right. So if this keeps happening with every person that you date, maybe you are choosing people with whom that's going to happen. So with Charlotte, I mean, at one point she even started dating someone from the waiting room. And it was, you know, I didn't know what his issues were because he was seeing another therapist in our suite. But it was like very apparent to me that she was this was not going to go well. And in fact, at one point he shows up with another woman in the waiting room. We don't know. Is that his sister? Is that his girlfriend? Who is this? It does not end well. And it isn't until she really tries to heal some of and does some of the grief work around her own childhood and what she did and didn't get from her own parents that she's then able to not try to seek that out from her partners and to find people who are healthy and people who are ready for a relationship and people who want what she wants. And it's interesting in that transition period, she would go out with those like better quality people, let's say, people more ready for primetime relationship. And she'd be like, yeah, really nice person, but I'm just not attracted to him. Mm. Because what she's attracted to unconsciously is like the excitement of the familiarity. Like, oh yeah, that feels like something I know really well. So she had to get used to, oh, I'm just not used to this. This is like, you've like plopped me down into this new environment and I have no map for this. And until she could get past that transition point, she was really stuck in this. Yeah, I'm going out with better guys, but I'm not attracted to them to, oh, now I'm going out with better guys and I am attracted to them. Right. Yeah. That's such a real thing. I feel like that's the biggest thing is like we're going through the wrong. We're going for the wrong people or we are the common denominator. Like if you're fighting with all of your friends, why? You know, if you and I remember I was similar to Charlotte when I was dating in my 20s. And my therapist had said to me at one point, she was like, you always find these guys who like dip a toe in, Mm -hmm. but like aren't like fully in it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, why do you think that is? And she was like, because you dip a toe in. And I was like, oh, wow, (laughs) like such a light bulb moment. And that's such an important point because Charlotte did that too. She said she wanted the closeness, the connection, but she was terrified of it because Mm. a loving experience for her growing up was very dangerous. You couldn't trust it. It would feel great one moment, then the parents would disappear, right? So she had a a mom who was very present for her and then would get depressed and then really check out. She had a dad who was always like on these trips and kind of she didn't know what he was doing. It was very unclear and he would be very close and then he'd forget to call her on her birthday. You know, like, so she'd be like gutted and then she'd be like, feel really good. It's like heroin, like putting the needle in and then it would get taken out. Right. And so when she would feel that rush, like the heroin rush of some new person, it was also very terrifying 
because it was like, oh, but I know that the needle's going to come out and I know it's going to feel terrible. And what she needed to do was to stop looking for heroin. Right. Yeah. That's meaningful. When working with men, because I know you work with men also, did you ever conclude, or is this just what a lot of women think, that men need to make like less concessions when they're looking for a partner than we do as women? That like, we have to, you know, choose the the best of the bunch, whereas they have more freedom to choose someone that they think is out of their league? Mm. I think that men have more flexibility in terms of who they can date because we have this cultural idea that, you know, men can date certain ages and women have a very restrictive, women can date older, but they can't seem to date younger in, in our culture, which is just a cultural construct. It has nothing to do with who you're attracted to. You know, people think, oh, men are so picky. I think men actually are less picky in a lot of ways. I don't mean that they don't have high standards. I mean that they're more flexible in terms of they have a wider range of the kind of women that they will date. And I think that women tend to have a very narrow range of the kind of men that they will date. Mm. So I do see that. But I think that that's actually I think that you know, as women become much more educated and there are more college graduates who are women than men, it becomes more of a problem because it makes sense that women want to date people who are college educated if they're college educated, but there might not be as many men who are college educated. And men in the past, when there were more men who were college educated than women, men were less, I guess, they, they didn't hold that as the like a huge standard for them. I it's like they wanted someone they could talk to, right? But they didn't have to have the same level of maybe intellectual connection. I think mm-hmm. men really want that nowadays though. I think that you know we see this like much more egalitarian coupling going on where people really want people who are similar to them. But I think that one thing we don't consider is of course if you are someone where you know you're educated and you want to talk about lots of different things that you want someone like that. But I think that there are people who are smart in all kinds of different ways. So if you can talk with somebody about all the things you want to talk with them about, but maybe they don't have the graduate degree and you do, it shouldn't matter because look at the person in front of you. So I think that's where we get tripped up a little bit. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. There was an article, I forget which publication, but it basically talked about like how men are more single than ever because of that education thing because of a lot of points that you just made and like women are, you know, not settling for a man that they feel like is less smart than them is, you know, any of these things. Well, you don't want to be with someone who's less smart than you, you, but you, but somebody who's maybe less educated is not necessarily less smart. Yeah. And I think too, I think that women want this thing that could sometimes be very incompatible, which is I want sort of the alpha guy, you know, like the really ambitious guy, the really successful guy, the real go-getter guy, the really kind of like socially fluid guy, meaning that he's like very socially skilled. And that might not be the person who, if you are also that way, that might not be the person who's like available to help if you decide you want to have kids, how are you going to divide up the responsibilities in the household? That might not be the best partner for you. 
So sometimes the people who maybe aren't as alpha, but are smart and interesting and you enjoy being with them are really good partners for really ambitious women who want to be the person who's the out in the world person. Yeah, that's so true. Like I, I'm so happy that my husband is someone who's not afraid to watch like a shitty reality TV show with me on the couch. I, I'm so happy about it. And I never would have said like, I need a, a man who is not afraid to watch like, you know, real housewives, but I love it. Like, I really love it. And I don't think it, I, I personally don't think it makes him any less alpha. And I think that so many women are caught up in the idea of like, I want like the quarterback who's like, you know, like the king of the bros. And it's like that guy a lot of the time. And like, obviously there's exceptions, but is kind of like not going to show up for you when you need him to. And, and of course it's, it's different, you know, for everyone, but like I used to be into the mysterious guy. And I remember my friend was like, if you're giving birth in the hospital, like the mysterious guy, isn't even going to respond to your texts. Like that's not, that's not long-term and that's not what's going to make you happy. And I was like, Oh, that's a good point. I never, I never really thought about that. Mystery is one of the most overrated qualities in a partner. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants you. You want mystery in that, you know, I, I think there's this difference that people don't understand in relationships between secrecy and privacy. So we all need privacy. We all need parts of ourselves that are just for us. Secrecy is there's something that I should be sharing that I'm not. Privacy is just I don't need this. It doesn't affect the relationship, but I need this piece to myself. Mm -hmm. So you need a little bit of, you know, not knowing every single thought that crosses your partner's mind, because that can be exhausting. But I also think that when people say they want mystery, I think that what that is, is uncertainty and anxiety. And I don't think most people really want that. It can be kind of exciting while you're dating for a little bit, and then it gets really old really fast. Mm -hmm. But when you're thinking about a partner, you're thinking about who am I going through life with? And I don't want to be wondering all the time. I don't want to be on edge all the time. And so we really need to think about that when we're dating. Who do I want to go through life with? And why should the criteria be different when we're dating? You know, it makes no sense. It's like, you're, it's like why would you interview for a job? Why would you interview a candidate for a job where it's like they're great in an interview, but they're not, they don't really have the qualities or the qualifications for the job? So the interview should be reflective of the qualifications that you're looking for. So the dating, dating is really an interviewing process for both of you. And people don't like to think of it that way. It sounds very unromantic, but it's a getting to know, are we compatible? Do we feel like we would be good partners for the long term? Yeah, so important. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, or just like highlight, going back to marry him for a second, there was a line that I loved, which... I guess you had learned in your research, it says guys would say, I knew this person was the right person when we'd been dating for six months and she had to go away for a week. And when she was gone, I missed her so much. I thought that I felt happier when she was around. I realized how important she was. So this is a man talking about what made him realize how much he liked a woman versus women talking about, you know, chemistry and fireworks. And I loved this because I always say like, guys decide how they feel about you in, in the missing of you, like when you're not there. 
And I always say like, how can he miss you if, if you're never gone? And I feel like that is the perfect example of, of like men knowing that they're the one. And it's like, if you ask me how I knew my husband was the one I'm like, I knew right after the first date, I texted my friend. And if you ask him, he's like, well, we spent like a series of time together and we got to know each other. And I eventually realized that like, I didn't want to think about life without her. And they're just such different answers. They're such different answers. And I just think that it's so amazing that you were, that you highlighted that so that um, you know, women can understand how men fall for them a little bit more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Men are all about what I was talking about earlier, which is how do I feel when I'm with this person? And for some reason, women are more about it. You know, we, we say that men are so superficial. I think women in a lot of ways, like really judge men on these more superficial qualities. How do they dress? We, we will say we don't do that. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, it's like, you know, how do they reflect on me sometimes, you know, when I'm with them, as opposed to how do I feel when I'm with them? Yeah. And then we have these very, again, this like Prince Charming idea, which, you know, most of us will say, I don't feel that way. I'm not, I'm not a person looking for Prince Charming, but I think we have these very rigid ideas from very young that we don't even realize get in the way sometimes. And I think also you have to think about the difference between men and women where men really value their time when they find the right person, you really are the person that they lean on because, you know, women have a lot of friends and men have friends too, but it's a different kind of friendship. So when Mm -hmm. men come in for therapy, often they'll say something like, you know, I've never told anyone this before. And they literally have not told a soul. And it might be the kind of thing that women talk about over lunch. Right. So it's like, and they've been holding it in like this big secret, right? This big thing that they feel so much shame around or so much ambivalence around sharing with other people. And women will come in and they'll say, you know, I've never told anyone this before, except for my mother, my sister, my best friend. Right. (laughs) So they've told like one, two, three, maybe, you know, they've told like a handful of people, but they feel like they haven't told anyone. So women have this other support network and men often rely on their partner for that they have their their guy friends for all kinds of things and they're important to them but they have their partner for the things that women have other friends for so i mm-hmm. think that that's one reason that when guys are evaluating a partner they really go straight into that how do i feel with this person oh i really mm-hmm. like this person i really feel comfortable with this person this person makes me feel really good and right. I, I wish women would get there a little sooner in the dating process in terms of that mindset Yeah. Agreed. The only problem is when men are like, well, I feel so comfortable with you. Why do I need a therapist? I could just talk to you. Oh no, 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 (laughs) no. Huge red flag. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Lori, thank you so, so much for all of your wisdom. Can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice, maybe something from one of the books or just something that's helped you throughout the years? Sure. I would say the one piece of advice is to listen to how we talk to ourselves and to have more self-compassion. And I think about how when I'm giving talks, often, you know, I'll ask people, who's the person that you talk to most in the course of your life? You know, show of hands. And I'll be like, is it your partner? Lots of hands. Is it your parents? Is it your best friend? Is it your sibling? But the person that we talk to most in the course of our lives is ourselves. And what we say to ourselves isn't always kind or true or useful. And I had this client and she was so self-critical. And I think many women tend to be very self-critical, but we don't realize it because we're so kind to our friends, 
right? And so, but we talk to ourselves completely differently, the opposite. And so I said, listen, I want you to go home and I want you to listen to the voice in your head and how you talk to yourself. And I want you to write down everything you say to yourself over the course of the week and then come back next week and we'll talk about it. And she was very skeptical of this because she really didn't think she was that self-critical. And so she comes back the next week. She'd written everything down. She starts to read it to me and she starts crying. And she says, I am such a bully to myself. Like every second mm. I was criticizing myself. And there were things like she was she was writing an email and she made a typo. And immediately she said to herself in her head, you're so stupid. She would never think that about anybody else that right. was that made a typo. She passed her reflection in a mirror, you know, like while she was walking down the street and in a store window. And she said to herself, you look terrible today. And of course, she didn't look terrible. If friends saw her, they would not think she looked terrible. So I think it's really important to ask yourself, is it when you're to listen for the voice and ask yourself, is it kind? Is it true? And is it useful? And if it's not, change the change the radio station, change the mm -hmm. channel, right? Because that's something from your past. That's an old voice. It was somebody else's voice. It was a story somebody else told you about you that was not true, that was much more about them than it was about you. And so now you get the chance to rewrite your story. Now you get the chance again to untangle those faulty narratives. And it starts with the voice in your head. And once you become more self-compassionate, you become more compassionate in your relationships. You become less critical of your partner. You blame them less for your own unhappiness. And you start to look at what am I doing? And it just becomes this virtuous cycle of kind, true, and useful with myself and with others. I love that. I'm going to do that exercise and I'm so scared for what I'm going to have said to myself. Lori, where can everybody find you? Listen to your podcast, read your writing and all of the things. They can get, maybe you should talk to someone or marry him wherever they get books. They can find me on Instagram at Lori Gottlieb underscore author. They can listen to the Dear Therapist podcast. We are about to launch season four. You can catch up and listen to all the first three seasons wherever you listen to podcasts. And they can read my advice column called Dear Therapist in the Atlantic. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.